Hello and welcome to the PCRS podcast series. In this series, we'll be bringing you experts on a number of respiratory related topics. The podcast has been produced to update you and to give you food for thought about how you deliver your respiratory services. Hello and welcome to this podcast, a part of the Greener Respiratory Healthcare campaign. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Professor Sir Stephen Holgate around air quality, a subject that is really important, particularly when we're thinking about our respiratory patients. My name is Carol Stonham. I am a primary care nurse based in Gloucestershire, and I'm the executive chair of the Primary Care Respiratory Society. Stephen, can I pass over to you to introduce yourself, please? Yes, my name is Stephen Holgate. I'm a medical research council professor here at the University of Southampton and a respiratory physician at the hospital here. And I've had a lifetime interest in asthma and related conditions. And air pollution obviously is very relevant to such patients. And I've had an interest in that for a long time. I'm now UKRI clean air champion. Excellent. So a really good person to be talking to about this. So can I kick off, Stephen, and ask you about where the majority of air pollution comes from? Because I think we, we talk about it quite a lot, but we talk about it in quite generic terms. And I think when you get down to the nitty gritty of thinking about both indoor and outdoor pollution, there's not always the clarity about the, the things that should cause us concern. So, so where does it derive from? So pollutants are chemicals that we breathe in that aggravate or even cause various human diseases. And uh, The sources of these pollutants often are mixed. The internal combustion engine, vehicles of one form or another, with the pollution coming out of the exhaust pipe, are talked about in terms of outdoor air quality. But we also have agricultural pollutants from the fertilizers that are put on the ground. We have pollution that generated outside from a variety of other sources, such as friction when tyres hit the road, where brakes are applied. And in essence, uh, these are the mixtures that we have in our urban settings and on occasions in our rural settings. Indoor pollution is rather different. It's obviously made up partly of outdoor pollution because the air gets into our homes and offices and into our transport. But also inside, we have other chemicals that we bring into our houses, whether they're being emitted from the furnishings or for the carpet or from our paints, the chemicals that we use to clean our homes and the various things we use ourselves on our personal habits, the the chemicals that we apply to ourselves. So all of these form a complex mixture. And of course, on any single 24 hour period, Humans are breathing in a mixture of these different chemicals at different times of the day and obviously varying in content at different times of the day as well. So, so that's it's quite interesting. So I think we all think of, for example, the electric car being pollution free, but it clearly isn't because you're talking about tyres and brakes and they, they have tyres and brakes. That's true. And of course, they're heavier than the ordinary cars, which uh, burn petrol or diesel. And therefore, the amount of particles that come off from the tyres on the road will be actually probably rather greater. But it's all a balance here. I mean, uh, moving to electric vehicles, of course, what we're hoping is it's going to remove the internal combustion engine as a source of serious pollutants, where it has uh, in countries like Norway already shown a big impact on human health. So, as you say, it it has this impact on human health and we're all aware of the impact, but it isn't something that we see, for example, we've only seen on one death certificate so far. So that was Ellie Cassidebra, but we haven't really seen it in the mainstream of health 
on the whole. So, so what effect does poor air pollution have on our health? Well, you make a very good point here in that uh, for tobacco smoking, for example, the health profession played a very big role in getting new legislation of smoking in public places. But air pollution has been the, the hidden uh, breathed environment, really, which is causing uh, a problem. And I think the main pro difficulty with all of this compared to the air pollution we had 50 years ago was the fact we can't see it or we can't smell it very often and we can't taste it. So really, it's invisible. And this is the difficulty because people think if they can't see, smell or, or have other ways of recognizing it, it doesn't exist. But it does exist and it affects human diseases in many different forms. And lung disease, obviously, which is my own area of interest, but heart disease, uh, strokes, dementia, diabetes, a whole variety of different uh, conditions involving the skin and eyes. So it has multiple effects on the human body. And the reason for this, of course, is that we breathe these, this material in and it gains access to our tissues and there it causes the problem. And I don't, again, I don't think we really think that whole process through. We think, maybe think about breathing it in and maybe the effect on the lens, but I don't know that people think about that whole systemic effect that it's like people potentially can have. So our patients that have established, we, we know this is a cause of respiratory disease and we, we know it tends to make things worse in our patients with established respiratory disease. But why do our patients with respiratory disease struggle more potentially than somebody without respiratory disease? Well, people with lung disease of a variety of different types obviously have a reduced capacity of their lungs and they sense changes much more easily than people who are uh, got normal lung function where they have a, a large reserve. So if you take a person with asthma, for example, we know that their airways are very sensitive to being irritated by chemicals, by particles. And therefore, when you take an asthmatic child or an adult into a polluted environment, they will immediately recognize it in their lungs and start coughing or even wheezing and feeling breathless, whereas a normal person wouldn't necessarily detect that. Same with people with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, where they go into a smoky environment, they'll suddenly, because their airways are inflamed and sensitive, they'll detect the chemicals that they're breathing in and make, it makes them feel obviously quite a lot worse. Mm. Yeah, so, so something we really, as respiratory healthcare professionals, we really need to have a focus on. So the other area that is, is fairly topical and rightly so is this whole area around health inequalities. So is there any link between health inequalities and the effects of air pollution or is it something that we, we haven't really made a link as yet? Well, it's a really good question, uh, Carol. Uh, inequalities, of course, hits at the heart of many of our problems within health, particularly non-communicable diseases. And what's been observed is that those people who have the lowest incomes and, have, and live in deprived circumstances are, in fact, those people exposed to the highest levels of air pollution. And of course, air pollution isn't acting on its own here. It's acting on all those other factors in a deprived population which feed into poor health. It's just one of the factors. But nevertheless, there's an environmental injustice here, is that those who can do least about it are those that are exposed mostly to the problem. And therefore, this puts the responsibility very firmly on those who look after our communities within our urban and rural settings. 
and that urban planning and, and the way we have our schools, the way we have our uh, new housing estates or old housing estates, uh, how we sort of bring traffic and, and exposure to chemicals in those environments becomes a very important part of planning and a very important part of what local authorities should be trying to deal with. Whether they do or not is the question, but I think there is this social injustice and this does need to be emphasised very strongly indeed. And I think as health professionals in primary care and in secondary care, you know, we need to be aware that these people are more sensitive to the pollutants and are living in environments where they're more exposed. So as we move towards integrated care systems with, with health working more closely with local authority and with education, for example, that really gives us the potential to actually impact this in a more holistic or broad way that includes but isn't just health, I think. So I think that, that I see that as a real positive and a real way forward. Couldn't agree more. This is a wonderful opportunity, really, to think about the environment uh, as well as people's lifestyles in the way that we can improve human health. And by joining up the pieces in the way you just described it, there is a real chance here of getting added value, not only uh, in the case, in, in my case, for air pollution, but also for improving uh, the indices towards zero carbon and climate change. Because obviously, uh, if we get the air pollution down, we also uh, reduce carbon dioxide generation and we also improve our indices towards zero carbon. But it's the other factors that also need to be thought about at the same time. So we now know that people who have coexistent disease, people who are uh, obese or overweight, uh, we have uh, children, particularly very small children, are all more susceptible to air pollution than is a mature, normal individual. And therefore, by having a joined up approach through, for example, uh, social prescribing, we might be able to have quite big effects on some of these illnesses like asthma and COPD without necessarily always having to rely on increasing the drug treatment. And it's really nice to be moving towards a time when there is some potential for improvement rather than just deterioration or, or the status quo. So I think it's a really good opportunity to make sure that this is on everybody's agenda when we're looking at planning going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And GPs, you know, have a really important role to play here, Carol. I mean, one of the important things is awareness. Uh, the public's generally aware about pollution, as you said in the, in the start of this uh, uh, podcast. But I think the important thing really is to know what people can try and do about it what doctors and nurses can do about it, and then what patients obviously can do about it for themselves. And so from so if you if I mean, I work in primary care, if you're working in a primary care team, it's a really big subject. And it's really difficult to actually feel that you can make a difference with it. So it's, it's all too easy not to do anything about it and to leave it to somebody else and think it's somebody else's responsibility. So from a primary care aspect, are there things that you can see that primary care teams can do to address any aspects of the air quality difficulty or the air pollution, whether that's indoor or outdoor? Well, I think awareness is one thing. I mean, we, we talk, for example, in asthma about avoiding various uh, factors that can trigger attacks. But strangely enough, air pollution hasn't figured strongly in this, which is rather surprising because it is a really important trigger of, uh, uh, in asthmatics um, of symptoms. But also, I think helping patients understand where they can get information from about this, because they themselves can take avoidance action. For example, the, the route that a child walks to school or whether or not a child 
goes to school by walking, cycling, or in fact goes in a vehicle, whether parents leave their running vehicle outside of school. Thinking about how parents with children with respiratory illness might actually influence their local council to start entertaining how they might change the way uh, exposures around schools and playgrounds and shopping centres might actually be addressed to, to really make an influence on those who have the more susceptible aspects, uh, such as asthma and COPD. So primary care, I think, has a major role in awareness generating. In terms of positive interventions, obviously, you know, how you actually influence exposure to air pollution is a personal choice to some extent. And as long as patients and the population at large have information, they can make choices and, it, and they may want to or may not want to, but it is there. Uh, they need to have the information to be able to do this. And I think inside our buildings, you know, we've just come through this or still coming through this terrible COVID-19 pandemic. And of course, the indoor air environment has become very much in the spotlight. And we know that breathing air in tight homes can increase the amount of uh, exposure, not only to viruses, but also to air pollutants as well. So learning about how to ventilate our homes well, as well as heat them, is, is important. And sometimes we don't think about damp and moisture as a pollutant, yet the fungi that they encourage in some housing is a real problem for asthmatics, for example. And the local authority does have a responsibility here to make sure that housing is of adequate quality. And there are regulations in place to ensure that that's the case. Yeah, and, and I was really pleased the Children Young People's Asthma Bundle was released back in September and I was really pleased to see a section on prevention because I think again we're not we're pretty good at treating things when they happen but we're not that good at prevention and a section within that was around air pollution and the section I was also very pleased to see within that was around parental smoking particularly indoors and I think that's been more of a problem during the pandemic because people have been homeschooled so everybody, the whole family's been at home if you've got a smoker in the family are they going to go outside are they going to stay inside and even if they go outside you know the toxins are on their clothes so that's quite a big subject in itself but it's really again another positive step that the children and young people's asthma bundle has included it because it actually puts it front and centre so we do think about it Oh, completely agree with you. And tobacco smoking is just another pollutant. It's just part of the mix that people breathe in. Fortunately, it's, uh, it's decreasing in this country generally, and that's, that's excellent, particularly indoors. People can get a lot of good information on all of this. There are some good websites people can visit, Carol, if they want more on this. There's one called UK Air, which uh, really gives an up-to-date uh, where the Department of Health and Social Care are on air pollution, what they're thinking about it, about the planning, about how you can access various leaflets and information. And if you're living in England or well, anywhere, really, there's one called Air Quality England that's actually quite good because in that you can go on that website on Google and find it on Google and put in your postal address, uh, your postcode, and you can find out what your local pollution is day by day and, uh, and the forecasts going forward. So I think that's a really great uh, site to go to. And the World Health Organization is also another excellent website, which has got some great leaflets and uh, uh, information about how you can avoid pollution and what you can do about it yourself. And I think often patients would probably find that easily understandable language that the WHO use to be really helpful to them. 
And that, it's good that you say that because one of the barriers I find a lot of people, a lot of healthcare professionals will, will talk to me and say that, yes, they know they should do something about it, but they don't know what to do because they don't know where the good sources of information are, particularly good local sources of information. So it's, it's great to be able to send um, a, a patient, a parent, a child to something that gives the local information around what's happening around them rather than the, the general information. It's quite hard to put into context sometimes. Yes, and it's very variable, And uh, again, because the monitoring of air pollution across this country is a bit patchy. And I think that's one of the things that we're doing with our, within our clean air programme is to try and encourage a much more granular much more refined measurement of air pollution being put into place. And then information passed to primary care settings, to schools, to shopping centres, where the public can genuinely see what's going on on the ground that they're, they're walking on and, and, and know what they're breathing in. So, you know, more information is power here. And I think over the next year or two, we're going to see an awful lot more of this coming into place. That's great, because I think we, we sort of know the information we should, the, the general information, or there's more sort of standard information, but it's, as I say, it's popping that into the context of the person that you're talking to, the patient that's sitting in front of you. Yes, indeed. So, and, you know, we had at our conference over the last two days, somebody talking from the World Health Organization, who was basically saying that there's an awful lot of power in the public and parents and children if they do want to engineer change in their local area and i think you know just like clean water you know this is a this is a right to of humans to be able to breathe clean air and i think uh, what we really want to do now is to push hard to make sure both central and local government take the responsibility seriously and start to create environments which are much nicer places for us to live without all of the risk and dangers that are being uh, provided by us breathing this toxic air yeah and i think the health community are in a really good place to do that because the health community are very trusted, uh, are usually listened to, but are you often a little bit too quiet on these subjects? So I think maybe it's a time to think about how we campaign for those things to happen. And, and as I say, the, the, with the advent of the integrated care systems, the integrated care boards, you know, that's going to give us that opportunity to actually talk beyond health, hopefully. Indeed so. And uh, there are some you know, good pieces of information out there about where the new things are happening. There's a, an NGO called Global Action Plan, a GAP. And if you go into their website, you can see all the exciting things that they're doing with schools, with business, um, with, with uh, housing authorities and so on, to give you an impression that you know, by doing a little bit in each one of these areas, the difference eventually will occur. Lovely. So that's been it's been really, really interesting talking to you. And it's given me some really good information for, my, for me to think about in, in my clinical practice. And I'm hoping that it's going to really make people think a little bit beyond. Yes, we know air pollution is a problem, but we don't know what to do about it. So I'd like to thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this. Uh, it's a passion of mine and it's clearly a passion of yours. And I think it's something that if we do start shouting a little bit louder, we may be able to make a difference. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Carol. It's been a great pleasure doing this with you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe for future podcasts. Goodbye.